I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Jay Agner. He is an entrepreneur with over 60 employees in three different countries working for his company, JDAQA. But that's not how it started. Jay got rejected by both Uber and Lyft as a driver. Uh, he was, you know, looking to get things started and he just kept plugging and eventually found his niche. In addition to running his business, he runs an astrophotography group with over 1,700 people around the world. He is a student pilot. He's got five kids, but that's not enough. He's got another one on the way. And today, we're going to learn more about Jay's fascinating journey. Jay, welcome to Leaders and Legacies. Craig, thanks for having me, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So... I'm sitting here, I'm trying to figure out all this. Um, you got five kids, you're trying to get a job with uh, Uber and Lyft. How many kids at the time did you have, uh, were you getting rejected by them? I think we only had two or three back then. Two, <laughs> only two or three. Yeah, only two, only two or three. Only two, yeah. Oh, only exceeding the U.S. birth rate. Well, you know, somebody's got to do their part. That's That's me. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, give us a little more color. What was going on? Why uh, why were you looking at Uber and Lyft? And, um, and you know, what was the setting? Uh, so my wife uh, is a nurse and was a nurse. Uh, she was doing long-term overnight care. Um, very sad, uh, you know, kids that just aren't going to ever leave the hospital. And uh, I went one time and saw it. And you know, it was kind of clicked with me that that's why she wanted to, to get out of there. Um, so I started looking for anything to kind of fit more hours in the day. Uh, I was looking at overnight stock boy jobs. I was applied to Uber and Lyft. My license wasn't from the same state, so they turned me down. Uh, and then I stumbled across uh, Elance.com, which was, you know, I could do freelance quality assurance, which is what I did during my nine to five. Um, and that's kind of where I started the business. Just, just you know, me, myself working after hours and, and built it from there. Wow. Now, QA, what 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 is that? What are you talking about? Uh, so there's you know a few pieces to the software creation process, design, you know, product folks get in there and figure out how it's supposed to work. Developers develop it, um, and then a lot of people are unaware that there's a pretty heavy component, uh, which is testing. It's quality assurance. It's making sure that all the stuff that happened before, um. It gets to QA, was done properly. Um, the buttons are, do what they're supposed to do. The screens are supported. Uh, if there's 100,000 people that are supposed to be able to log on at the same time, you can do that. Uh, make sure it's secure so nobody can get to the data that's behind the application. Um, so basically just kind of make it it's the last line of defense uh, for software before it goes out to the masses. Okay. 
And so you started doing that on Upwork. You started getting QA jobs on Upwork. Yeah, I was doing it as part of my career. I went to be a developer and realized very quickly I wasn't a good developer. Um, but I, I kind of got bailed out and got a job in QA. Um, so then I found Elance and found some some consulting gigs, some some freelance gigs, just doing QA for websites and mobile apps and things like that. Um, and then kind of realized like, wait, there's something here um, and, and kind of built it uh, from, from, like I said, just working after hours, you know, the, the, the nine to five to the, I guess, five to nine or whatever you want to call it. Wow. I mean, you're like the icon of resilience. You know, you, you're, I appreciate your bluntness. You get into software development and you say, well, I'm, I wasn't very good. And, and so you went off and you did something adjacent to development and you built a big company doing it. Yeah, I got lucky, man. Uh, I think that's just a common theme with my life, and I like to give luck its its credit. Uh, you know, I equated being an, a developer to an author, right? I think anybody could be a developer, anybody could write a book, but to be like top ten bestseller, to be a really good developer, it just wasn't who I was. Um, and I saw like I could apply the same skills, but I didn't have to to write code. I got to validate stuff, and it just really. Um, you know, I think I lucked out. I got a, got a great job at a good time, left college and and kind of went on my way. So, um, and also had a, uh, my son during college when I was 18 or 19, uh, my oldest son, um, which, you know, probably isn't recommended, but, um, there's it, just never been an option to do, to not move forward and do the next thing. So we figured it out and, uh, you know, he's 18, now and about to go for the air force so you know it all worked out wow that's really cool and so why so many kids <laughs> i don't have a good answer for that i, I don't uh, i love kids um i you know uh, part of me thinks that it, it is the the thing that i'm going to leave behind uh is is a good generation of of agner children who hopefully well-adjusted, hopefully have something to add to the world. And, um, but I just love it, man. I didn't really come from a huge family. My wife had two siblings. She didn't really come from a huge family, but um, I'll go for seven if I can, you know, I'm not sure if I can convince my wife, but I would go for seven if I could, if I could do it. You know, I have a cousin that I forget where they were. They were around, I think number six or so. And I asked him, I said, so you, you going to call it quits or are you going to keep going? And I got the biggest kick out of his answer. Of all the viable answers for, you know, what six kids are enough. He's like, well, it's getting kind of hard on the wife. So we may stop there. That's what it is. That's what, I mean, once you, they do the real work, man, carrying them. I think my wife's been pregnant somehow longer than I've known her. I don't even know how it's possible, but she's just always pregnant. Uh, but yes, it's definitely harder on them than it is on us. Yeah. Wow. Well, and, 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 and what were you saying about, you know, leaving an impression. Well, you know, I've heard, a couple of times recently, I've heard somebody say, hey, do you know your great grandfather? What do you know about your great grandfather? And, you know, I think most people would say they know very little about their great grandfather. And so that's, that's kind of the endurance of our legacy. You know, once you go beyond your kids' kids, nobody's really going to remember you. And so I, I like your attitude of you're building the legacy. You know, they're not going to remember you, but you're increasing the number of people making an impact on the world. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a interesting point. Uh, I don't really know much about my great grandparents either. Uh, and probably I should, but, uh, yeah, I guess you really got to make an impact to, to kind of endure past a generation or two. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, when you said that you weren't good at uh, a good developer, it actually surprised me because just in the few minutes that I've gotten to know you, you strike me as somebody who's intensely curious, you know, so let, let's, let's talk about the astrophotography. What, what are you doing? What, is, what does that mean to people? What are you doing in, in that and what's involved? So it's a very time intensive hobby, especially early on when you're getting started. Um, yeah. And I think I am innately curious um, and it's certainly a hobby you could go for the rest of your life and not know, you know, even a percentage of what other people know. Um, I started off with a little point and shoot camera and I saw a smudge on the screen, which was like Andromeda and uh, did some YouTube searches and kind of figure out how do I do more of this stuff. Um, and it really just kind of sucked me into the hobby. The the biggest thing I noticed though, that there was no, um, you know, there's a bunch of communities, there's Reddit and there's a bunch of other stuff, but there's a lot of like gatekeeping. It was just a bunch of old rich, like guys with like money that didn't really care if new people got into the hobby. Um, so I started a little group. It was actually on Slack back then. Um, a couple of people I'd met on Reddit and, um, kind of just built this community and, people have been very receptive to just having a nice, safe, fun place to share knowledge and, you know, uh, help other people and get help. And, um, so, you know, and, and kind of the hobby itself is, is literally, I have a giant telescope in my yard that stays up, uh, pretty much all the time and it's covered, you know, when it's not in use. Um, I run it from inside on my computer, but it's basically, uh, you know, kind of planning out what you want to shoot. So there's all sorts of nebula and cool stuff way out in space. Um, you plan what you want to shoot, you set it up, it starts firing away. Um, and then you collect all that data, you put it on the computer, you process it, stack it all together. Um, and you produce these images that you see, you know, from Hubble telescope and all these other things they are all kind of doing the same thing. Um, but it's a, it's a, and it's an addictive hobby. Um, it's, it's very fun. And it certainly is is a hobby for people who are continually curious. So I'm a little curious, uh, you know, one, just for, for those listening, what is light pollution? And you live in an urban area. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I'm a little further out. I'm in the suburbs, but I certainly have light pollution. Um, and it's gotten worse because of LEDs. Um, so traditionally a lot of the filters that we use for the cameras we stick a filter in the front of it it'll filter out some of that that broadband light that comes from shopping malls and and street lights and all that stuff but as those have been switched over to led those filters don't uh necessarily have the same impact so it the closer you are to the city the closer you are to those lights the more washed out things are um the harder it is to get faint details that's why i like going out to like cherry springs pennsylvania which is like one of the darkest places in the country and uh, no light pollution, basically, and taking doing astrophotography out there. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's certainly um, restrictive based on where you live. If you're in the heart of the city, it's going to be tough. Um, but you know, you take enough photos, you can get some you know uh, some good results eventually. Yeah, you know, I I grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland, and I grew up 
right on the uh, the Chop Tank River, which is you know a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay. And one of the things I'd love to do is walk out onto the pier and just gaze up into the sky. And it was so dark there mm-hmm. that you know you just see so many stars. And this is with the naked eye, you know, right. not even a scope. But it's just it's an immense beauty that it's hard to appreciate if you live in the city. You don't even get to appreciate it. It's like a weird thing that like is there all the time that you don't get to see. And I, I just went down to Whitestone, Virginia last uh, summer or this summer. And same thing. Walked out on the dock and look up. You can see the actual Milky Way like across the sky. Um, yeah, it's what's wild, man. I'm not like a religious person, but when I when I go out to Cherry Springs and you can actually see the Milky Way coming up over the trees with no light pollution, like you can kind of understand how the stars and space and sky was like such a big part of human culture and civilization for so long. It's like, you can feel like, you know, you feel this like just massive thing coming up over the trees. It's a wild experience. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, I wish more people got to experience it for sure. Well, if you ever make it down to Texas, there's a, there's a town down near the Mexican border and uh, right next to big Bend national park called Terlingua. Mm-hmm. And uh that is that's the darkest place i've ever been hmm. and you know and it's just you can see the milky way with naked i mean it's just beautiful and and uh a lot of photographers like going out and you know shooting you know shooting the sky there mm-hmm. yeah i'll definitely check it out so um so that's one thing you're do- oh yeah i got a question all right so for somebody that gazes into the uh universe so much What's your take? Is there a life out there? I mean, there has to be, man. There has to be. Like, just statistically, I mean, what I thought was cool was somebody said to me one time, and you can't really see it, but I have a big picture of Andromeda that I shot over here. And there's little red specks all over the place. And, you know, you've got the big disc of of Andromeda, this giant galaxy, and there's these little dots everywhere. And somebody said, you know, the pictures of stuff that we shoot, like we shoot the Rosette Nebula and like all these different nebulas and all these different things. For somebody who was in Andromeda Galaxy, those little red dots would be the stuff that they were shooting from their astrophotography spots because like that's the nebula in their galaxy. And it's just like just seeing these massive groups of stars and planets and whatever. It's like there's no way there, there just has to be other things out there. Will we ever in our lifetime communicate with them? I I don't know. I doubt it. It's just so far. Um, but yeah, I would, I think so, man. I think there has to be. Wow. What about you? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of agnostic there. I, uh, I don't, um, I'm not sure I believe in the UFOs, uh, you know, these UFO sightings. Uh, <laughs> I heard some commentator recently say, Oh, there's a new UFO story. So-and-so must have some bad press. And sure enough, you know, there's one figure and I want to get into politics, but there's one figure that every time he gets in trouble, there's a new, a new UFO story (laughs) coming out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't believe in the UFOs. I don't think that they're zipping around up there. I think that's all stuff that we're doing here on earth, but. Well, for me, it's just, it's kind of a mathematical issue. If, if I, you know, and of course I'm thinking in the constraints of our understanding of physics, but if I think about the speed of light. And I'm thinking about, 
Yeah, isn't the closest uh, Class M planet like 100 light years from now? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so if there's life on that planet, and Class M has a much broader definition than than what Earth is, but if there's life on, on that Class M planet, and they're peering through their telescope saying, hmm, these humans have something interesting going on. Whatever they saw, they saw 100 years before, after it happened right and then let's say they their their spaceship can go light speed which you know um you know let, let's just say that that's the theoretical limit well then it would take another 200 years so we have this super advanced society that can you know that can see farther that than we can see that can travel farther than we can travel that can travel faster than we can travel super advanced they're looking at America during colonial times and saying, huh, this looks interesting. Let's go check this out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them are even further back, right? I mean, some if you're further away, they're seeing like cavemen and, and you know, stuff that's a thousand years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's kind of my uh, uh, take. I, um, you know, it's, I'm kind of agnostic. You know, it's, um you know, from a probability, I mean, if I just look at it from a, you know, probability standpoint, um, I'd say probably, uh, but then there's some things in this book, boy, this is a whole different tangent. We don't want to go down there, but, you know, there's the whole aspect of fine tuning in the universe where, you know, you have to, you know, there, when you look at the fine tuning that exists in the universe, um, you have to kind of wonder, okay, well, you know, who's the tuner and what's, what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, that's, that's a, that's a rabbit hole and we'd eat up all of our time. But um, anyway, no, that's, that's really fascinating. And that speaks to your natural curiosity. Uh, now you're flying. Yes. Uh, and if anybody has ever wanted to do it, go to your local airport because everybody has a local airport and spend a hundred bucks and go on a discovery flight and they will take you up and they will fly you around and they'll let you hold the controls and if you're like me uh it'll become a giant uh hole in your wallet and you'll become you know obsessed with it and you'll want to become a uh you know at least a recreational pilot so yes i don't have my license yet we got 70-ish hours. Uh, I've done a bunch of my solo work and flown a bunch of different places by myself. Um, but, you know, I was racing to get it done before my ba the baby was due or baby was born like a year-ish ago. Um, didn't quite get it done. So now I'm I'm still working on getting that finished. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that's just fascinating about you is I, I think two things. Um, one, there's no job that's too menial for you. You'll you'll do, you know, it, it doesn't seem like you let your ego get in the way of, you know, finding a path forward. But two, you just have this intense curiosity that that goes off and explores. And I, I, I just have to, well, the evidence is true. It's a fantastic combo. You've, you've built this company of 60 people. What's What's that like? Besides my children, uh, it is the most rewarding, fun, uh, you know, uh, 
just intensely enjoy it. I, I love it. I love running a business. I don't, I think a lot of people who run a business and they've done it, you know, somewhat successfully will tell you the same thing. Like they don't ever see themselves working for anybody else again. I mean, obviously we work for our customers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. And, um, it's been an incredible ride. I want to be a, you know, a, a serial entrepreneur. I, I think that there's a blueprint for it services companies. So once you kind of figure out how to do that, um, you know, it's not, not uh, trivial, but I think it's pretty straightforward to spin up a new LLC and go out and, you know, find new customers and do whatever. I, I, I just love it, but it's one of my favorite things on earth. Well, and starting a company, you know, and, and going, going for Upwork, you know, doing jobs through Upwork or whatever, that's one set of skills. Um, managing three or four people is hard. Managing 60 people is, is tough. What, what have you learned in the journey about leading and managing people? Um, number one, you have to delegate. I mean, I think that's every business coach's bread and butter when they come into a situation is like, learn to delegate, hand off stuff. Like I am very much a delegator, consider myself a delegation evangelist. I think people should pay other people to do things that, you know, uh, their time's better spent doing other things. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, um, I think it's, it's learn how to, to complement your skill set with people who are better than you and having, uh, no ego. Right. I mean, like you said earlier, like being able to hand that stuff off and being able to trust somebody else. Some people aren't comfortable with that. And I see that a lot of times with friends that I own that, that I know that run agencies, they're not comfortable or trusting enough to hand stuff off. And like, I don't know, I always think in kind of a risk reward scenario, like what, what would be, what would be the reward of me handing off a bunch of stuff? Well, I can go win a bunch of new clients. I can spend time with my family. I can do a bunch of other things. What's the the risk? You know, I lose a client, you know, uh, I don't know, just name any bad thing that could happen. And it just doesn't scare me, I guess. Like, you know, I would much rather take the risk to um, free myself up than to, um, you know, worry about all the bad things that could happen. So one of the challenges when you, you know, when you delegate things, inevitably, you know, they're not going to do it the way you would do it. And sometimes they just straight up make mistakes. Something breaks. When that happens, how do you how do you react to those things? I learned a long time ago. Um, nothing in my business or in my life uh, is anybody else's fault, especially in my business. If somebody that I hired didn't do the job right or messed up or whatever, that's because I didn't set them up for success. Uh, I didn't um delegate properly i hired the wrong person i set the wrong expectations uh owning all that has been the best thing that i've ever done as a business owner or a leader like just just i don't care if it's my second in command or somebody who's you know been here for 
two days and like screws up a client project, like anything in that spectrum of, of problems or responsibilities comes back to me. And it's just a lot easier to run the business that way. It's a lot easier to have accountability fall with me. And I tell my customers that and they know I'm there, you know, if there's anything wrong, then trying to like blame other people and figure out whose fault it was. And like, it doesn't matter. Like it's nobody else. Like I hired these people. I, it's my business. Like it's my fault. So um, I think that's been the biggest, you know, if something happens, then I'll get on a call with the client. I'll get on the call with my guys. I'll talk to whoever it is. Like we'll figure it out. Um, it's just never a blame game. So I, I don't look for reasons to freak out or, you know, uh, justify being, that's one of my, my least favorite things is when, any leader or person of authority in businesses that I've worked at or clients of mine or whatever, whenever they chop down other employees or people inside of the company that they work for, I think that's like just about as low as you can go in business. And I think it's very immature and unprofessional to do that. So I really strive to like, you know, make sure I just raise my guys up. And if there's a problem, it comes back to me. Well, Jay, I, I mean, this is just an absolutely fascinating conversation. I, I wish we had more time because it's very clear you have a lot of wisdom that's valuable to, uh, to a lot of business owners, regardless of your industry. So, um, but we need to wrap up, and so I just want to make sure um, people understand you. You help people with. Um, who develop software, you help them with the QA process. Um, how do you, how do they reach you? JDAQA.com or hit me up on LinkedIn, Jay Agner, A-I-G-N-E-R. Um, and happy to see what you have going on and uh, see if we can help. Well, Jay, thanks for coming on Leaders and Legacies. Uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your passions. Um you know, it's, you, you've got a fascinating story that I know I, I want to continue to follow. Awesome. Thanks, Craig, for having me on. I appreciate it, buddy. Great show. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss anything please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.